Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. I'm Rachel Campos Duffy. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Maria Bartiromo, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Monday, December 25th, 2023. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. It's the time of year to give. And while things may be tight financially for many of us, charities are used to getting most of their donations at the very end of the year. And some of those charities have big plans for the coming years. So the first thing I tell people is that they should support their local children's hospital. Okay, and I always start there fundamentally. But I also hope that people can find a place in their heart for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. I'm Dave Anthony. It's a brand in distress. Bud Light sales remain way down. Even Mr. Wonderful isn't sure how it can recover. This is worse than New Coke, Old Coke, and it's becoming its own story for the ages. I'll be teaching this one at Harvard. There's no question about it. We speak with famed investor Kevin O'Leary. And I'm Robert Jeffress. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. In 2020, Nonprofit Source reported that 30% of annual charitable donations happen in the month of December, and 10% of that happens in the final three days of the month. Giving USA reports that 2022 was a down year for donations. The $499 billion we gave was a decline from 2021 when adjusted for inflation. The charity giving tracker notes the other down years in the last 40 years were 1987, 2008, and 2009. So down years are rare, and are hoping 2023 proves to be a better time when the final numbers are in. One charitable organization hoping you'll keep them in mind is St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, and sometimes it's hard to keep them out of mind, with celebrity-filled ads featuring sick children being hugged by family members in a hospital setting. Our breakthroughs are helping more kids worldwide grow up and be whatever they want to be. Like Maria Angeles, a healthy and beautiful new bride and Caleb, who feels right at home selling homes. Or Maggie, who's a doctor. A doctor, saved by St. Jude doctors. Those ads, like other organizations treating sick and disabled children, often show us very brief glimpses into their lives. Those snippets are glimpses into what it's like to receive one of the worst diagnoses that any parent can receive, that is that their child has cancer. Rick Shadiak is the president and CEO of ALSAC, the fundraising organization for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And St. Jude Children's Research Hospital leads the way the world understands, treats and defeats childhood cancer. And what you see depicted um, in those stories are kids that come to St. Jude from all over the United States and the world. And St. Jude has this very unique operating model in that no family ever receives a bill from St. Jude, not for treatment, travel, housing, or food. So mom and dad can focus on helping their child survive that diagnosis. And those advertisements hopefully spur people to take action 
to support St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, uh, which it costs about $2 billion a year to operate and to build St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. So that's why you see the stories that you do see on television. I was reading that it can cost like a million dollars to treat one child and, and that it's more in the neighborhood of like, I think it was $425,000 per child um, if they're dealing with a catastrophic disease. Why is it so expensive? And is part of that the research element of it, that, that some of it's going to that? Or, or this is just purely the cost of treating a child? Yeah, well, I think the most fundamental thing that we need to understand is that when a child has cancer, it's a period of time that can be two, two three years or longer. Um, you know, for the most common form of childhood cancer, acute mm -hmm. lymphoblastic leukemia, you're talking about an almost three-year protocol. Uh, so these are expenses that, that stretch over the course of three years. And then, you know, on top of that, at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, we follow these children through their life. So they're also brought back as they become, God willing, pediatric cancer survivors. And we study how they're faring in their lives um, after they successfully battled childhood cancer. We want to know, are they experiencing any eyesight loss, hearing loss, bone density problems? So there's a lot that goes into this, but, but at also at the very same time, you know, for an acute lymphoblastic leukemia diagnosis, you gave the correct that it's a little over four hundred thousand uh, dollars over the course of multiple years to treat that child what can you share with us about the success rate of treating childhood cancers you just referenced the one and forgive me i i, I don't want to mispronounce it um but what are some of the the success yeah. rates that you guys are seeing and, and are they getting are those success rates getting better i hope i would i mean you would hope they would they're, they're absolutely getting better, uh, Jessica. So the, the, the particular diagnosis you and I have been speaking about, acute lymphoblastic leukemia, which was the first disease that St. Jude tackled in the cancer space, had a survival rate of 4% when we opened our doors in 1962. That meant 96 out of 100 children who would be diagnosed would pass away and pass away quickly. You fast forward to today and due in large part to the research and treatment conducted at St. Jude, the survival rate for that very same disease is now 94%. The overall survival rate for childhood cancer has gone from 20% when we opened our doors to over 80% today. But despite those amazing statistics, even in the United States, cancer remains the leading cause of death by disease in U.S. kids today. And there are certain types of cancers, like brain cancer, for instance, and in particular types of brain cancers, like a, a DIPG, that really don't have survival rates. So that means that a diagnosis is, is, is going to be lethal. Um, and, and so we are working on these difficult to cure cancers uh, and trying to increase survival rates for those cancers and also continue to bring up the survival rates for cancer that actually where the kids have good chances of surviving. Wow. Um, well, that kind of dovetails into my next question because I wanted to know, you know, there are other children's hospitals, and you know them, <laughs> that are doing similar work to St. Jude, right? Um, Dana-Farber in Boston and Cincinnati Children's. But what do you guys tell potential donors about what makes you unique? And is it the research element at St. Jude? It's a great question. So the first thing I tell people is that they should support their local children's hospital, okay? And I always start there fundamentally. But I also hope that people can find a place in their heart for St. Jude Children's Research Hospital because we're not a local children's hospital. 
Our patient population comes from all over the United States and the world. Typically, if they come to St. Jude, they can't get treated at their local children's hospital. They're particularly difficult to cure cancers, or we have therapies that are only available at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And about 50% of what we do is dedicated to finding cures uh, for, for kids that are diagnosed with cancer and catastrophic diseases. Uh, and we also enter into research collaboratives with some of the most renowned institutions in the United States and the world in an effort to accelerate progress with respect to cancer and other catastrophic diseases. You, you mentioned Dana-Farber and you know, we, we partner with the Broad and Dana-Farber on a, on, a, on a research collaborative where we're trying to accelerate progress for the development of new treatments for aggressive childhood cancers. We're doing genome editing techniques with, with these institutions. Oh. Uh, when these kinds of institutions, St. Jude and the Broad and Dana-Farber come together, I mean, a lot of great things can happen. And that's what I tell people when they ask, should I support St. Jude Children's Research Hospital? Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about what you guys need, what the, what the future plans are. I'm reading you guys need or are allocating $12.9 billion over the next four years, or it was from 22 to 2027, right? Almost $13 billion, and this is, this is for more housing and, to your earlier point, more research, right? So what, how, <laughs> that's a lot of money. Um, what, what's the plan? So it's a $12.9 billion six-year strategic plan. It's the largest investment that we've made in our 60-plus year history. We're expanding our scientific operations, clinical care, and, and global medicine. Um, we've already opened our Inspiration4 Advanced Research Center, which is a 625,000-square-foot facility uh, that, that is dedicated solely to finding cures. Uh, we've recently opened what we call our ABV Patient Family Commons which is a clinical free area and that allows our patients and their families to have a zone in our hospital setting where without doctors and nurses and they can just be kids and families there's resting nooks this is where we have our school i did mention to you that a lot of our families are here for months and years on end yeah. so them to continue with their education. So we have our school uh, physically located in this patient family commons along with art space. And we even have a, a hair salon and a nail salon for some of our kids that, that need to feel pretty because they can also lose their hair and handsome for our young men that may be hmm. interested as well. And we did recently open up the Domino's Village, which is a, a brand new patient housing facility with 141 two and three bedroom apartments. Uh, which is literally right across the street from our campus here. It's our fourth housing facility that that we uh, that we operate. Uh, we also, uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, um, are investing in these research collaboratives with other institutions to try to accelerate progress with some of these catastrophic diseases. We're really making strides with Global right now, and you know, literally just within the last two weeks. Uh, we, we had over 250 people here that came from about 67 countries. They gathered here in Memphis for the fifth St. Jude Global Convening. And these are opportunities for hospitals and foundations around the world to come together to share best practices, to learn from St. Jude Children's Research Hospital clinicians, as well as ALSAC fundraising and marketing experts. 
Uh, and then also we discussed with them this global drug platform where we intend to deliver these free cancer medications to 120,000 of the 400,000 kids around the globe. All of this is part of that effort to raise survival rates in these low and low middle income countries from 20% to 60%. We're also expanding into other diseases like pediatric neurological diseases as well. So oh. a lot of things that we're working on here at St. Jude Children's Research Hospital that make up that 12.9 billion dollar uh, investment that has to be raised from the public. All right, finally, if you had to sum up, you know, what raising money for St. Jude means to you through like an anecdote or even an interaction you've had with a family, what would you share with us? Well, I would tell you about a story of a little a young man who's he's now 14 years old that came to see me literally last week and I he painted a painting for me. And it, it was particularly touching because uh, th this young man had 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 his best friend who passed away at St. Jude put his handprint on a canvas and the young man did not know what to do with that canvas. And, and he decided to paint a beautiful painting for me that had the original handprint of his friend who's now deceased with a beautiful painting of the logo of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And he put this young man's date of birth on here and it says 2010 to 2022 and then on the very same on the other side of our logo he put his own handprint and that signifies he, he explained to me that his handprint signifies those kids that have been able to survive childhood cancer and it's the hope for the future and that his buddy's handprint who passed away signifies all of the work that we still need to do and that we can never forget these kids that have passed away. And then he also gave me a beautiful Bible verse that says, the Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still, quoting Exodus. I mean, these are the kind of things that motivate me every single day, Jessica. These are the kind of kids that come here and they're forever changed. And I can promise you that they forever change you when you have an opportunity to interact with them, because I learn so much from these from these kids. Um, they're deeply inspiring. So, so that's what I would say. Wow. Rick Shadiak, president and CEO of ALSAC Fundraising, uh, the organization, fundraising organization for St. Jude's. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Jessica. I'm Benjamin Hall, Fox News correspondent and New York Times bestselling author. Join me for my brand new podcast, Searching for Heroes. Make sure you subscribe to this series wherever you download podcasts and leave a rating and review. This is Robert Jeffress with your Fox News commentary coming up. 2023 is a year people who drink Bud Light, or used to, people who work for the brewer and Dylan Mulvaney will not forget, all got caught up in a controversy that exploded out of a Bud Light can that got all shook up in the spring, as we first covered back on May 18th, when Shark Tank's Mr. Wonderful, Kevin O'Leary, joined us on the Fox News Rundown. Talk about a video that went viral. I got some Bud Lights for us. As you no doubt know by now, that is Dylan Mulvaney, a transgender influencer on her Instagram page. This month I celebrated my day 365 of womanhood and Bud Light sent me possibly the best gift ever, a can with my face on it. And those six cans of beer opened one big can of worms. A lot of Bud Light drinkers did not like what they saw. Some say it went woke. Many stopped buying Bud Light. 
Sales have plunged five weeks in a row, down almost 24% last week from a year ago, costing Anheuser-Busch billions of dollars. The parent company put some marketing executives on leave and fired a third-party ad agency, but it also tells Fox they use hundreds of influencers to authentically connect with various demographic groups. Republican Senator J.D. Vance says... You can't go to war against the people who buy your product and expect them to keep on buying. Uh, Conservative voters, Republican voters are not idiots, and they know when a corporation is going to war against their values. And Heiser-Busch made a big mistake, and they're paying for it. So what does Mr. Wonderful think? Bud Light has become the poster boy for brand mismanagement. Kevin O'Leary is a famed Shark Tank investor and chairman of O'Leary Ventures. These the discussions that have arisen and the narrative that's arisen around Bud Light is probably a good lesson for every CEO in every sector of the economy. Number one, it highlights the power of social media. This issue went viral in 48 hours. Yeah. And most often when an issue goes viral like that, it burns out in another 48 hours. But that's not what happened here. The story and narrative changed to sales. And so... People that did not like the message, regardless of where you stand on these social issues or gender narrative or whatever, they took it out by basically boycotting the product Mm. immediately and switching preference to other brands that did not make them get involved in this issue. And other viral videos go on on social media, like Kid Rock shooting Bud Light cans and people dumping Bud Light. That just adds to it, right? Well, it's because that narrative became very powerful. And people piled on. Now, if you're trying to manage that and trying to learn something from it, and I certainly talked to all my CEOs about this because here we are talking about it in its second month. Yeah. This is a nightmare from hell for the brand. And and the sales don't, they haven't, some brands in Anheuser-Busch have had declines get lesser, but Bud Light's still down big. This is worse than New Coke, Old Coke, and it's becoming its own story for the ages. I'll be teaching this one at Harvard. There's no question about it. Because you have to ask yourself, in crisis management, what do you do? Because if you go to the other side and try and balance the gender narrative, you're going to get a whole new onslaught of people that don't like that. And there have been bars that have banned all Anheuser-Busch products because Bud Light tried to distance itself from Dylan Mulvaney and what happened. So the lesson learned and what everybody should think about in every consumer product category, when you take polarized positions on any narrative, you are going to alienate 50% of your consumer 100% of the time. So if you're willing to do something very controversial because you think it's going to go viral in a positive way, you need to analyze the downside in a negative way as well. In consumer goods and services, Republicans drink beer, Democrats drink beer, some believe in the gender neutrality, some don't, but they all consume your product. So if you know that with certainty and you have billions of dollars of capitalization at stake, Why would you go down that road in the first place? You need to own that as the CEO. If you're the man or woman running this thing, you need to own it 100% because you can't blame it on a brand manager. You can't blame it on an advertising agency. You own it. And so now what's happened within corporate America, and I can assure you this has been a conversation in every boardroom, is 
Who's running brand here? Who's deciding what networks we post on? Who is actually doing our social media? Who is actually calling the shots on the content? Because never before has the control of content after those frames leave and get posted, you don't have control of it anymore. Okay, let's say I'm Bud Light. I'm on Shark Tank. I need money. And I give you, uh, Mr. Wonderful, give us 20%. I'll give you a 20% stake. Help us. What would you do? How do you creatively dig yourself out of that hole? How do you reestablish that brand? And I'm not sure there's a clear path right now. For me, if I had to try and you know, think about how would you manage out of this hole, first step is stabilization. First step is to stabilize the decline. Stop it from declining. That's not easy to do, though. No, it's not. But you can't think about gaining share yet. You just have to stop the narrative. And, Cauterize the wound and then go from there. You know, th there's lots of metrics, and we do this in our own businesses. You can actually monitor by the hour on every platform what is occurring. Okay. And so you, you have to find, if I were doing this, I, I would have that analysis in front of me saying, where are the green shoots in this story? Where are we getting some support? Where are our users talking about you know, their childhood, growing up with Bud Light, you know, Bud Light as, as, a, as a favorable choice on a caloric basis, on a nutritional basis, whatever it is, where are the green shoots? You know, clearly when you're in crisis mode, heads are going to roll. It's just too much capitalized loss. It's just too much. Influencers are part of the deal now, right? Brands need influencers. They use them on all different ways, TikTok or whatever. But you're using people. You don't know exactly what they're going to do, right? You, you, you hope they do something good for you, but it's a danger, isn't it? It is. So I have a pretty big advisory business, and I work with a lot of financial services companies, insurance companies, tax companies, where they hire me to be a paid spokesperson. Mm-hmm. So let me give you my perspective of my role in these. First of all, never be a spokesperson for a brand you don't actually consume or use, that you don't personally use, because that's the only way you'll understand the DNA of the brand. So companies need to know when they're hiring an influencer, they're hiring a user. Yeah. Prove to me that you use my product. You know, when I think about companies like Start Engine that do equity crowdfunding, I'm just naming off some of my paid spokesperson's role. I'm at, not only am I a paid spokesperson, I'm an investor in the company because I use the platform. Mm -hmm. I think about Wonder Trust, which is employee retention credit program. I use that platform for all of my companies to go get their credits because right now banks aren't lending. So we get up to 26,000 per employee and I'm all over the networks now promoting wondertrust.com. If you don't have your ERC, that's where you go to get it. I think about Tax Hive, financial services we're talking about here. I use all of these products in my portfolio or personally. I make sure I don't go down some narrative that's irrelevant to my constituency. So when you go into gender narrative on a beer, which is primarily consumed by men, maybe you should have thought a little bit about that in reading that room. Maybe you should say, well, does this really fit my consumer's psyche and narrative? This is important. And then lastly, do you understand the responsibility you have as a paid spokesperson? You are basically being trusted by the board of that company to help them expand their business and reduce their customer acquisition cost. You own that at six in the morning when you wake up and at 11 o'clock at night when you go to bed. How have you modified your life to be responsible? 
you can't get in a car and do something crazy. You can't expect to do something off brand in the night or, you know, out in the evening and not think that that's not going to get back to you. And that was the thing that I realized so much when I got into this business is how it forced me to change the way I lived. You know, I love wine. I have a wine business. I sell hundreds of thousands of cases a year. But you can't drink too much of it. I can't drink too much of it, and I can never drink it and get in a car ever again. Not that I'm admitting I ever did, but that's something I can't take drugs. I can't, you know, not that I want to, but it, it made me realize if I'm going to take this role and this responsibility, and you know who told me this? My 29-year-old daughter. Really? Yeah. She said, you know, Dad, the one thing that you don't understand is you're so scrutinized now. I see you everywhere. Yeah. One bad move, and you're canceled. Everybody recognizes yeah. you pretty much, right? Well, I mean, she used the word, yeah. you'll be canceled. And I said, what are you talking about? She said, I'm not kidding. Just look at these feeds. Look at how many hundreds of thousands of comments there are in this stuff, good, bad, and ugly. And they're watching you 24-7. I don't know if I'm ever going to be the wild Mr. Wonderful I used to be. <laughs> I just don't think I'm going to get to do that. But maybe I'm older anyways. Well, a little less fun, but more money. Well, yes, but I, I don't, you know, it, it's a great question when you're asking me because people say, do, that, do you do that for money? No, no. I really enjoy the work. I really enjoy what I do. And I love the challenge of gaining market share and reducing customer acquisition costs for all of my companies I invest in. And when people approach me and say, oh, we want you to be a paid spokesperson for our company, I say, I don't own your company. I don't own any of your company. I'm not doing it unless I own a piece of the company so that I'm in the shareholder's shoes and I understand their journey. So like that, exactly like Shark Tank, you're, you're yeah. always buying in. And so I'm, I'm actually investing in their company and they're paying me to be a paid spokesperson because I believe in their mandate and their mission. And I think that, in my view, that keeps you young. I really enjoy this work. How is the economy in your view? It's getting diff more difficult right now for companies to get investment, right? To get money, to be able to, to, to get a capital? It is. And I'll tell you why, in a nutshell. Everything changed a few weeks ago in the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, First Republic, and Signature. All of a sudden, all the regional banks, the 4,500 of them, are not lending anymore. As we speak, Congress is debating this. The members are talking about it. There's hearings about the collapse of Silicon Valley yeah, Bank. yeah. Haggerty put out a bill, the deposit bill. I met with him in Washington yesterday and his staff. He's got a solution that simply says, okay, for the next 24 months, any bank account in a regional bank will guarantee it up to $100 million if it bears no interest. Now, who's going to put money in an account with no interest? Only payroll yeah. on Wednesdays. So he's trying to protect payroll in regional banks. That makes sense to me. But it's not an imputed guarantee for everything. And so that's not going to stop the consolidation of small banks. We have 4,500 now. I bet you within three years, four years, there'll only be 800 left. They're going to have to get together. That's what happened in England. That's what happened in Canada. That's what happened in Australia. That's what happened in Switzerland, Europe, France, Germany, all of these places. Much fewer banks with imputed guarantees. That's where we're going. Mr. Wonderful, you can see him, of course, as always on Shark Tank. And also he's chairman of O'Leary Ventures. Kevin O'Leary, thank you so much for being with us. You got it. Thank you.
Here's a look at the week ahead. Monday, it's Christmas Day. Start with the gifts, then maybe head to the movies. And it's also one of the busiest days of the year to get Chinese food. Or for the sports fan, some NFL games. The Las Vegas Raiders play the Kansas City Chiefs, the New York Giants play the Philadelphia Eagles on Fox, and the late game is the Baltimore Ravens taking on the San Francisco 49ers. There are also a few NBA games, too. Tuesday, it's the last full moon of the year, often called the cold moon. And if you have time to hop on a plane, head on over to Sweden for the start of the 2024 World Junior Ice Hockey Championships. The United States has one of the opening games against Norway. Wednesday, the Kennedy Center Honors airs on TV. Honorees include Billy Crystal, Renee Fleming, Barry Gibb, Queen Latifah, and Dionne Warwick. Friday, some more sports, this time college. It's the Sun Bowl in El Paso. Number 15-ranked Notre Dame plays number 21, Oregon State. And that's a look at your week ahead. I'm Anna Eliopoulos. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Robert Jeffress. What's on your mind? For the first time in recent history, Christmas has been canceled in Bethlehem. Churches in this West Bank city will still hold Christmas services, but the traditional manger square tree and twinkling decorations that usually light up the town of Jesus' birth will remain dark this year. The festivities of Christmas seem out of step with the horrors of war. This idea of a dark, quiet Bethlehem leads us to consider what the first Christmas must have been like more than 2,000 years ago. The pitch-black night was interrupted by a sudden celestial glow as angels announced the good news of Christ's birth to shepherds in the fields. A shining star cast its light over Bethlehem, guiding the wise men to worship Jesus. But all too soon, the brightness of those days was overshadowed by the gloom of anguished grief. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus fled to Egypt just in time. King Herod had ordered the brutal slaughter of all Jewish boys ages two and under in Bethlehem and the surrounding region. This slaughter must have looked similar to the horrific images we saw in our news feeds on the days following October 7, 2023, when Israel was again grieving the barbaric capture and murder of innocent family members, friends, and neighbors. There is real tension in the Christmas story. Christ's birth seems like it should have been a triumphant moment for God's people. Here was the long-awaited Messiah, whose coming signaled the end of oppression, pain, and despair. The Savior was born. But it wasn't long before grief-stricken parents in Bethlehem had to bury their babies. Here we are now, all these years later, still burying our loved ones. God has come, yet the power of sin and death still remains. Is Christmas really good news then? Is it worth celebrating? 
I think the answers are found in my favorite Christmas carol, Joy to the World. When Isaac Watts composed this hymn in 1719, he did not intend it to be a Christmas carol. His focus was on the second coming of Jesus, when Christ would return as the righteous king who rules the world in grace and truth and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness. As I point out in my book, Are We Living in the End Times?, the Bible ties the first and second comings of Jesus together. What God started at Christmas will be completed at Christ's return. Right now, we live in an in-between time where pain and heartache remain. But one day, earth will receive her king, who promises to vanquish the sting of evil, injustice, and death forever and ever. This glorious, eternal future began many centuries ago on an unsuspecting dark night in Bethlehem. We can thank God that that baby who was born in that little town will return soon to finish what he began on that blessed Christmas day. This is Robert Jeffress for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 